Well, it's good to be back here with you guys. Just a, a little bit about myself. I was born and raised in Arizona, so I am like homegrown here. Uh, there's not a lot of people that can say that. A lot of people, uh, you came in from California, you came in from the Midwest and all of that, which makes it really difficult for me when cheering for sports teams, because I feel like uh, if I go to a sporting event, there's just as many fans from the other team there as there are like Arizona fans. If you've ever experienced this, you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, love Arizona, love Phoenix, love what God's doing in this place. Uh, and I love Phoenix Bible Church. Honestly, last time I was here, you guys were just incredibly gracious to me, uh, loving. I just feel at home when I'm here, and so thanks so much. Uh, like he said, I, I got three kids at home. I got a third grader, a second grader, and a kindergartner, and I just recently moved houses uh, next door to my brother just last month. Uh, we moved in next door. He's got four kids, and I got three kids, and so we decided to do kind of this big social experiment. What if we move in next door to each other? And we just kind of let the kids raise each other while we hang out on the porch, you know? And so that's kind of what we're doing right now. I don't know how it's going to work out, but ask me in 18 years, and I'll let you know if this was a good idea or not. But it's kind of what's going on in my life. Uh, I'm a pastor at a church in the East Valley and uh, have been there for about 12, 12 and a half years. And uh, uh, absolutely love what God is doing in our state. Love uh, the life change that I get to see, the stories that I get to hear. Uh, and, and even as I kind of travel around just here, and the, the God is doing incredible things in our state, including here in this place and including in your lives. Now, Tim asked me to pick up where uh, he left off last week. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And so I'm just going to jump right into this, and, uh, and then we're just going to kind of talk through this verse by verse as we look at what Paul is writing. Now, if you want to follow along in your Bible, it's in the New Testament. So your Bible's divided into two parts. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. And so the Old Testament is actually a large chunk of your Bible. The New Testament begins with the book of Matthew. And just to say this out loud, because sometimes people will uh, say a book of the Bible and expect you to find it, it's okay to use the table of contents. That's why it's there. There's nothing unspiritual. I do it. And I've been, you know, a pastor for years and years and years. Uh, table of contents is not a bad thing. So you can go there. You can look up Ephesians. But just to kind of give you a frame of reference where it is in the New Testament. So the Old Testament, uh, that's the history of Israel and the history of this earth. And that leads up to the birth of Jesus. So Jesus kind of divides the Old Testament and the New Testament. So Jesus arrives, humanly speaking, in the book of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are kind of the biographies, the story about Jesus and what he taught and who he was. And so you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is the story of the early church. And then you got letters that were written to the church. And so, uh, it, and Tim talked about this, I think a few weeks ago, he kind of gave the order. So you get uh, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then you get this run of four letters. And he said, God eats popcorn is how he remembers Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I learned Gentiles eat pork chops. That's how I learned to do those. those. And so it's, and for me, it, it makes me smile because understanding culturally that, that Jewish people didn't eat pork chops, but the Gentiles did. So anyhow, uh, so yeah, so it goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're in Ephesians. And so this is called Ephesians because Paul is writing a letter to a church in a place called Ephesus. And the people who lived in Ephesus are called the Ephesians. So I know I'm reviewing probably what you've already heard. If you're a guest with us, this is your first time. Now you're kind of up to speed on what we're talking about when we say we're in the book of Ephesians. So in this letter, Paul's been talking about grace, God's glorious grace. I love the title of this series because that really is what this is all about. And so we pick up here. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord... 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Uh, he starts off saying, therefore. It might be easy to read what we're about to read and go, okay, so God wants me to work really hard. Uh, God wants me to do a lot of things. And, and we can get confused if we don't understand everything that's led up to this part of the letter. Therefore means this is in response to something. And what Paul has been making abundantly clear that our rescue, our salvation has nothing to do with us. It's by God's grace. Here's what grace is. Grace is a, it's a gift. And, and I want us to understand this because this used to confuse me. I grew up in church. And so I always thought like, man, if I just worked hard enough, tried hard enough, then God might be happy with me. But man, if I messed up, like God was just angry at me and he was frustrated, uh, I didn't understand grace. Grace is a gift, and, and this gift that Paul's talking about, so I have in my pocket, I have something that, that I'd be willing to give away. This would be a, a free gift, and if you were to look at what's actually in my hand right now, something, I, I've been working hard on this for a long time. It's actually, it's actually taken me several months to build up. It's a little bit of pocket lint. I mean, it, it's, it's taking a lot of time. I mean, the jeans kind of, yeah, they got to rub together, they got to go through the wash a couple times, and then, and then you get like... You get like this uh, little bit of pocket. If I said, hey, I got a gift for you, you go, wow, pocket lint. And, and, and you might just out of like obligation be like, thanks, Robert, you know, because I'm a guest here and you don't want to, you know, you want to be somewhat nice to me. Like, oh, that poor pastor, like he's just, he's so clueless. So you'd be kind and you'd be like, oh, okay, thanks. But what if I had a gift that was in the category of game changer gift? Do you guys know what a game changer gift is? I don't know if you've ever like as a kid, if you think back in your childhood, maybe you had a game changer gift at some point in your life. For me, I was the youngest of four growing up, and I remember one day I walked down the stairs, it was Christmas time, and, and all, you know, me and my three siblings, we all had our little gifts around the tree, but in the corner, there was this huge gift that, no joke, it was about this big, and it was all awkward shaped, and it was just wrapped up in wrapping paper. And so I walked down the stairs, and, and what do I want to do as a kid? I want to go and see whose name is on that gift. And so I go, and sure enough, says Robert. And I thought, this gift is a game changer. I open that bad boy up. I'm tearing it up. It was a bike. Now, most parents, they put a bow on a bike, right? So my parents, they decided it'd be funny to just wrap the whole thing up with wrapping paper. But this, for me as a kid, because see, I was kind of stuck, like just going as far as my legs could take me, stuck around, you know, the house and all of that. And I was at the age now where I'm like, man, this gives me all kinds of freedom. I can go to the park. I can go here. And that gift, in, in my memory still, it's like one of the most nostalgic. Like I had my first real bicycle, game changer gift. What Paul has been doing in this letter is he's been unwrapping this gift for us that God has given us. He's helping us understand the gift that God has given us is a game changer. Greater than any gift you could ever possibly imagine or receive is this gift called grace that when you and I were separated from God because of our sin... Because we do wrong things. I mean, if, if we were to sit and have an honest one-on-one -on -one conversation, I'm guessing we would have no problem agreeing that all of us in this room are sinners, starting with me. We would have no issue going, yeah, I've done things that I shouldn't have done, I regret, or I've said things, or I've thought things. Uh, we'd have no problem. And scripture teaches that because of our sin, it separates us from a holy God. And so here we are, here God is, and what most people think, and what most faiths in the world, they say is you got to figure out a way to work your way to God. 
You got to figure out how to jump through the right hoops. You got to say the right things. You got to be the exact right kind of person. And if only we could work just right, we might make our way back to God. Christianity is something completely different. Christianity, because of this word, grace. See, every other faith on the planet, it's about advice, it's about works, it's about what we do, and it's suggestions on maybe if you did this, you could work your way to God. Christianity is built on this word, grace. And here's what grace is. You ready? If you and I uh, understand this picture, I'm here, God's here, I'm separated because of my sin, here's what grace is. When you and I couldn't work our way to God, when there was nothing that you and I could do, because just like in the video we saw, the issue isn't that we got to swim harder, try harder. The issue is that we are dead in the bottom of the ocean. And what can a dead person do? It's nothing. Dead person can do nothing. Guys, this is a major problem because it says because of sin, because of that, we, the death, it's not just a physical death we experience, it's a spiritual death, a separation from God. We are dead. What can a dead person do? But here's what Christianity says, that when we couldn't work our way to God, God, God himself, in his love, in his grace, and in his mercy, worked his way to us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. That is a game changer. And our job, as with any gift, I mean, what do you do when somebody, if I were offering you the pocket lint or if I was offering you, you know, some, maybe I had a bag of diamonds. I don't know if, they, if that's still a thing, if people like carry on bags of diamonds. I don't know. But if I had that kind of, I said, here's a gift. What's your job in that moment? Simply to receive it. I've done the work. See, if you had to work for that, it's no longer a gift. It's a wage. It's something that you, it's like a paycheck. But if it's a gift, that means it costs you nothing. And what Paul has been unpacking is that God's grace, that a relationship restored with him, it is a gift, not because of our works, but because of Jesus's works and what he has done for us. Going to the cross, paying the penalty for your sin and my sin. And guys, I want us to get this in our minds. It begins and it ends with grace. This is what it's all about. And that is a game changer. So Paul then says, therefore, in light of everything that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, in the light of God's grace, therefore, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Here's what this means. Because you read the Bible, and if you're like me, I read through the Bible, and sometimes it's like, hey, it's all about grace, and Jesus works to you. And then other times you read it, and it's like, so let's get to work. So let's make sure that we're doing this. Hey, we need to stop doing that. We need to start doing this. We need to treat people this way. And it's like, man, well, which one is it? Is it a gift? Or am I supposed to do something? And I've been so confused so much of my life in church. Because it, it, we, we tend to kind of lean totally one way or the other. Like, oh, it's all grace. Go do whatever you want. God's going to take care of you. Like, God is so good at forgiving. Go sin till your heart is content because he's going to just forgive you because that's what God does. He's so good at it. And we lean way into the grace side of it. Or we do the opposite and we lean way into the, well, you did what? Pretty sure God doesn't love you anymore. You know, like, man, I can't believe you did. You said, what? Oh, I can't believe. And, and so we start to lean into, you got to earn it. You got to be perfect. And if you have anything going on in your life that you're struggling with, you better not tell anybody about it. 
because they're going to judge you, and they're going to, oh, I can't believe you deal, you know? And, and so we kind of lean one way or the other. So which one is it? Are we supposed to be working? Are we supposed to be putting forth effort? And the answer is, on all of this, the answer is yes. Yes, it's all about God's grace, and yet at the same time, there's work to be done. See, grace is opposed to earning. You cannot earn grace because it is a gift, but grace is not opposed to effort. It's kind of confusing, so I want to explain this uh, in a way that helped me. I was watching this movie called Shrek. And in the movie Shrek, and I think this is like the third Shrek, there, I, I, I lose count, but it's the one where uh, Puss in Boots shows up to assassinate Shrek. And this battle ensues, and, and, and there's this incredible fight scene, and basically Shrek gets the upper hand, and he could kill Puss in Boots, but instead he decides to have mercy on him, and he shows him grace, and he frees him. And then Puss in Boots, he does that little thing, you know, where he holds his hat, and he's got the big eyes. And then he says, man... You spared my life. My life now belongs to you. He goes, man, Shrek, I'm going to follow you around. I'm loyal to you. I, I, I want to be a part of it, and, and I will spend the rest of my life paying back what you've given me. And that's his response. It's, it's called a life debt. If you know anything like, like about history and literature, a life debt is when somebody saves your life and you go, man, I now owe you my life. So when Paul says, hey, guys, let's get to work, he's saying that in light of God's grace. Not to earn God's grace. To try and earn God's grace, that's called moralism. So moralism sounds like this. I've worked hard, I've been good, so now God owes me. That's moralism. That is not Christianity. Here's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. It's God saved my life. When I didn't deserve it, he rescued me, listen, I owe him. And there is nothing you and I can ever do to repay what he has done for us. And so what we respond out of, listen, it's not fear. It's not trying to earn anything. What drives us getting to work in God's ministry in the family of the church, listen, it's gratitude. And if you don't feel motivated to be a part of what God is doing in the world around us, if you don't feel motivated to jump in and love others the way that God has loved you, I'm going to say you need to focus and understand what God has done for you. Because if you understand the gift, the immensity of the gift that God has offered you, how big of a game changer gift it is, your natural response is going to be absolute 100% gratitude. When I got a bicycle for Christmas, all of a sudden I was like the best kid in the world. I'm like, you just want me to do the dishes? I'll do the dishes, sure. You know, like, oh, you want me to? I was just so overwhelmed with gratitude. And that lasted for about a day. But that day, man, it was just, I was just gushing with gratitude. You know, oh, I can't believe. It's so amazing. For some of us in the church, we've gotten used to grace. We've forgotten how big of a game changer this grace is. See, we are saved by grace through faith alone. That is crystal clear. When we were looking earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, I mean, you can't get any clearer. It's not by work. So we are saved by grace through faith alone. But listen, true faith is never alone. When we understand this game-changer gift, when we have the gratitude for what God has done for us, it's going to move us to action. 
Verse 2, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So he says here, okay, so he talks about uh, there's work to be done. And then he goes right into saying, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So he talks about this attitude of humility. That's to accompany those who have put their trust in Jesus and receive that free gift of grace that he offers. Do you know why humility is such a big deal? It's because it's the chief virtue of the Christian faith. Every other virtue flows out of humility. And that's the example that Jesus gave us. And and we're about to read here where it talks about how how Jesus, he didn't consider, in in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be clung to, but that he emptied himself taking on the the likeness of man, that Jesus would go, you know what, I'm going to empty. Imagine, I mean, it's impossible to really imagine, to wrap our minds around this, that God would say, I'm going to take all that I am, and I'm going to humble myself to the point of being born in a barn. There is nothing more humiliating than being absolutely helpless as an infant in a stinky gross, nasty place where the animals hang out and eat. And yet the God who spoke the universe into existence said, that's the example I'm going to give them. I'm going to humble myself and meet them right where they are in their mess. Do you know what's so beautiful about that? I'm just going to tell you guys, I'm a mess. And I don't know y'all personally, but you're a mess. And the person sitting next to you right now, they're a mess. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Just keep looking at me. We're all a mess. And God says, but I love you. And I'll meet you right in the middle of your mess. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect. No, God's going to be perfect for you. Jesus says that he's going to humble himself and meet you right in the middle of your mess. That's the beauty of grace. So he says, I want you to also have humility. We're just following the example of Jesus. Verse 4, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I'm going to summarize that passage. You ready? Here we go. One. Seven times he uses that phrase, one. Paul's saying, listen, you've received this gift. Now here's what you do with it. You share it with the people around you. Christian life, practically speaking, it's learning to receive the love of God and then to share it with those in our lives. That's why Jesus says the most important commandment in the world is to love God. The second commandment is like it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. In the Old Testament, the central passage of the entire Old Testament, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's called the Shema. And in Hebrew, Shema means to hear. 
And this passage, I mean, this is, if ever you've been to Israel, if you have any Jewish friends, I mean, they take this passage, they roll it up, and they put it on the door frames. They make boxes. Some people wear it on their arms. They put them on their foreheads. They're real, like, religious, orthodox. They, they wear this verse on their body. It's on every door frame, every gate, all over Israel. This one passage rolled up in a scroll, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel right before they enter the promised land. And he then says, he gives them this command. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. This is what Moses gives the people saying, this is the most important thing. And when Jesus is asked later, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus quotes the Shema. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And and mind and strength, he interchanges those. And he, he says, that's it. That's the most important commandment. But he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right relationship with God, right relationship with others. He says, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if you want to know what the Christian life is all about, it's learning to receive the love of God, right relationship with God, and to give that love away to others, right relationship with others. And so now Paul is saying, hey, you guys have received this grace, therefore I urge you, and he talks about, you got to have humility, you got to bear with one another. Guess what? People around you, people sitting in these rows, they're going to make mistakes, I promise you. I'm going to make mistakes. Pastor Tim's going to make mistakes. He said, man, with humility, you got to bear with one another, you got to work through those things. Do you know what we do in our culture when things get difficult? We bail. Like, like in every relationship we have in our life, I feel like there's this ejection button right here, you know? And if things start getting a little bit challenging, things get a little bit difficult, somebody says something we don't, it's like all of a sudden our hand, it's like, you guys ever watch The Voice? In that show, there's that button, you know, and they just kind of put their hand right above it like, ooh, is this person going to be on my team? You know, and then it's like, they're, they're just constantly waiting for that perfect moment to be like, okay, yeah. And I feel like that's what we do in relationships. When I was in high school, I had a buddy who loved off-roading. And so uh, he convinced me, he's like, hey, man, we're going to go off-roading. Like, let's go out. And he had this old Jeep. It was, before Jeep was Jeep, it was called Willie's. And, uh, and so he had this, this old Willie's thing, and it was just like this hunk of metal, and it weighed like a gazillion pounds. And, and I always thought, like, I don't even know if we can get this down the street, more or less up a mountain, you know? And it was always tinkering with it and trying to get it to run right. And so we go out, and we're cruising around this mountain, and there's this trail, and it gets super narrow. And I'm in the passenger seat. He's in the driver's seat, and I'm thinking... I don't think we can fit. And it's like a sheer drop-off on the side. This is out in the Sandtown Mountains, if you're familiar with Arizona. And there's like this sheer drop, and I'm looking down there, and no joke, I see like three crumpled-up cars, like old, rusted, crumpled-up cars. And I'm like, that should be a sign. Like, that should be a, a warning sign to us. And, and obviously, it's, it's pretty treacherous. Cars have fallen down this, like, cliff, down into this ravine thing. And, and it was so dangerous that they didn't decide it was important enough to send anybody out to take these cars. They've just been sitting there rusting. And then I started thinking, or maybe nobody's ever seen it because we're so far away from humanity right now. And maybe there's still people in those cars. I don't know. You know, and so all of a sudden I'm telling him, like, I don't think we should do this. And, and he goes, ah, oh, now we're going to do it. He starts to go. The tire goes off the side. It starts sliding down the hill. As a friend, what I should have done is just put my hand on his shoulder and just prayed to the dear Lord in that moment. Said, God, be with me and my friend as we go down this cliff together. That's probably what I should have done. I opened the door and I jumped out of the vehicle. 
Now, his side was going down, so I think I actually helped it go a little bit because my weight was now out. Like, I just, I hit the ejection button, and honestly, when he started going, I already had my hand on the door. Like, it was already, this was my plan. Uh, Praise Jesus. He just slid down for a while and got stuck on a tree. We had to get two Jeeps out there, tow him out, the whole deal, but he didn't go tumbling, and uh, we're still kind of friends today. Not so much, but anyhow, that... That's really a picture of of just about every relationship that we have in our culture today. I mean, things get difficult with our friends. We're like, you know what? I'll find new friends. Rather than deal with conflict, rather than work through things, we go, you know what? Eh, When marriage gets tough, rather than deal with it and work through it, get counseling and meet with people and go, hey, can you help us see from an objective? We go, you know, I'll I'll just go marry somebody else. I mean, we do that when our jobs get a little bit difficult and somebody says something we don't like, well, that's fine, I'll just quit. Do you have another job? No, but I guess I should have thought about that. You know, and we're, just, we're quick to hit the eject button. And what Paul is saying here is don't do that. That with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to, rem- to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then he goes into this, there's one God. So here's what he's saying. God is one. It's in the Shema's what Jesus says is most important. And he says, your relationship with each other is to resemble God. That we, as God's people who have received that gift, we represent God in the world around us. And he says, man, if you want to represent God, let's start with the most important passage. It says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So Paul says, you have to be one. Unified. One, that does not mean that you all have to be identical. The beauty of this is each one of us gets to be unique. Even God in his very nature, God is three and yet one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet one God. Three very unique persons, yet one. And God says, I know it's a mystery. I know it's hard to understand, but I want you as the church to reflect that reality where we're all very different, yet we could be one intent on one purpose. He goes on, verse 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave, listen, gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does that mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. We just talked about that. That's a picture of what he writes about in Philippians. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all Things. Jesus is our example. Then he goes on, verse 11. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So he talks about we got to be one, we got to be one, we got to be one, we got to be one. And now here he's going to explain it a little bit further because we are a body. As weird as that might sound, it's actually a really cool picture of what the church is meant to be, that we are the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. By the way, when the Bible uses the word knowledge, we tend to to kind of Western culture that word, and we think, oh, knowledge about God. Knowledge in Hebrew culture Knowledge in Jewish culture, uh, the same word for knowledge is interchanged with the same word for tasting. In Psalms, the psalmist writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. Knowledge means to experience personally and intimately. 
So when we read about attaining the knowledge of God, we're talking about experiencing God. And listen, we experience God in the context of relationships because that's how he's designed it. It's really hard to follow God all by yourself. The working out of our faith happens in the context of relationships, which is why Jesus says most important commandments, to love God. And the second is just like it, to love others. Because to love God means to love others. To serve God means to serve others. These two things are like peanut butter and jelly. They go together. And so he continues on here. The knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So here's the picture that Paul gives us. He says, this is what the church is like. And I don't know if you've ever played with one of these. This is a Mr. Potato Head. And uh, he says, this is what the church is like. It's, it's like we're, we're one body, and, and Jesus, he's the head of the body, but we're all, we're all a part of this thing. And he just went through this list of apostles and teachers and, and shepherds, which teachers and shepherds is kind of one with two descriptions. And, and he, in other letters that he writes, he talks about each one of us, every single person who's put their faith in Jesus is gifted for the common good, that we all play a unique role. I'm going to tell you this. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you this, but I have a microphone on. So this morning when I got here, it was like there, there was a, a demon in the sound system kind of thing where like nothing was working right. And I'm sitting in the back there and I'm sitting and I'm watching going, man, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, like the band, they can't, like there's no sound coming out. And then there's these people who work in the sound booth and they're, they're running back and forth and they're talking and they're using these words that I'm sure are real words, but I don't understand what any of them mean. And they're trying to figure all this stuff out, and they're digging. And then all of a sudden, there's just sound coming out of the speaker. And I'm like, praise Jesus, it's a miracle. And they're going, no, I did that. You know, it's science, you know. And, and I figured it out. It's like, man, I'm watching this, and I'm watching people who are setting up for communion up here. And I'm watching the band members use it. And I'm going, man, these guys are all so different from each other. And, the, and each one of the gifts that they have is so different from everybody else. Paul says, yeah, that's how the church works. That each one of us, we are unique. And for some of us, we're like an arm, okay? And so, so we're like other arms. Maybe we have some similarities or whatever, but we're totally different than like a nose, which comes with a mustache. And what we've done a lot of times in the church is we begin to go, you know what? I'm sick of these eyes. And so I'm going to take my gifts, I'm going to take my abilities, and I'm just going to go, I'm going to go over there. And I'm just going to, you know, forget, forget these eyes. And, and, and this guy's going, you know what, this whole place stinks. I'm out of here. You know, and so I'm going to go over there, and, and, and this guy's going, what? What'd you say? You know, and so, uh, so you got all these different parts, and, and what begins to happen is we go, you know what, that's great. Yeah, I could totally see things. God's given me a gift, and I can see things really, really clearly, and I kind of have, you know, this understanding. I, I can kind of see what's happening culturally. I can see what's, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to go use that in the business world. And I'm going to go just make a ton of money. And yeah, I, I realize that I'm also, you know, because of God's grace, I've been adopted into his family, and I'm a part of this family, but you know what? I'm just going to go kind of do my own thing over here in isolation. So this is what the church starts to look like. And people show up to the church, they go, oh, man, something's missing. Paul's going, you've got to understand the importance of us being unified. Even though we're unique, even though we're different, even though God hasn't wired us all the same, Jesus is inviting us to be unified, not just for unity's sake, but because there's work to be done. Do you guys know that God's not done in the world around us? Do you guys know that God wants to rescue those who don't know him? 
that Jesus wants us to share the love that he's given us with others so that they might receive that gift of grace and experience it in their own lives? Do you guys know that that's what God cares about and what he wants? Scripture says, guess how he wants to do it? Through you and through me. That the church exists to help the world around us know Jesus. And maybe you're sitting there going, does he have a plan B? You know, is there, that, that's, that's it, that's it, guys. That's it, that's how he's designed it. And so he's going, guys, this is so important. That we don't just go, you know what, I don't care. I'm just going to, I'm going to do my thing over here and I'm going to do my thing over here. That when we have conflict with each other, that we deal with it. That we don't just run, we don't just abandon each other, but that we work together. And when we do that, it becomes this clear picture of who Jesus is. By the way, Mr. Potato Head looks nothing like Jesus. But you guys get the idea. And when we do this and we say, God, I'm going to let you use my gifts and we're going to figure out conflict with each other and, and I'm going to be all in and be a part of what you're doing, man, it begins to transform the world. I want to show you guys uh, a picture. This picture was taken last night. This is a picture of my son, uh, my oldest son. His name's Gabriel. Uh, this is his first day serving in church. So we were talking to, to one of his teachers. We're like, hey, you know, is there anything that like a third grader can do in the church? And like, yeah, actually we do. We, we have something for third graders. What they do is they, they greet the kids as they come in. And if there's a new kid, they sit with them. And they say, hey, you know, come sit with me. And they kind of show them around, answer any questions. And they're, they're just their friend for a service. And so Gabriel, when he found out that, that today, last night, it was, a, it was his first time serving, he was just glowing. He was, dad, guess what? I'm going to preach. That's what he said. Said, I'm gonna preach. And I said, You're gonna preach? He said, Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, I'm gonna serve. It's like, yeah, just like you do, Dad, just like how you're part of the church. I'm gonna be a part of the church. Can I just tell you guys, as a dad, I, I don't know if I've ever been more proud and more excited for my son. And when he got done, he was beside himself with enjoyment and excitement and enthusiasm. Dad, I gotta tell you how it went. I gotta tell you what we did. Like he's just, and he's our kid that's the most like melancholy of all of them. Like he's like, hey, how was your day? Terrible. You know, that's kind of how his personality is. Like, how was Disneyland? Well, you know, they're long lines. You know, he's like that kind of kid. He can find something negative about just about anything. And he was just like beside himself. Do you know what makes me excited as a dad? I mean, I, I, I can imagine a new kid, because I've been a new kid in a church. I don't know if you've ever been the new person in an environment. It's scary. It's overwhelming. I've been that kid. And to think about a kid who doesn't know anybody walking in and having a, a kid who's maybe the same grade, maybe a year older, saying, hey, how's it going? My name's so, hey, come sit with me. Man, that is a game changer. That's massive. That's not what excites me. I mean, there might be a kid that's, oh, man, he's got all kinds of things going on, and, you know, maybe he's just, he was looking for an excuse not to want to come back, and, and this kid took that. Man, that. That's great, but that's not what excites me. Do you know what excites me? Is how good it is 
for my son to think about others and to demonstrate love for others instead of focusing on himself. As a dad, that is so good. And guys, it's no different for us with God. I mean, imagine this story. This is a totally made-up story. He just started last night. He might quit tomorrow. I don't know. Like, he might be like, yeah, it's not for me, and, and we'll all navigate that and try and work that out as a parent. But imagine, let's just create a, a, a fake scenario right now. Imagine there is a kid who walks in to church, and that kid's got all kinds of issues at home. And, in fact, he's, been, he's not even in a home. His, his grandparents are kind of watching him. They bring him to church, and Gabriel says, hey, you want to come sit with me? Hey, let me show you around. And this kid learns about who Jesus is. And this kid puts his trust in Jesus. And this kid's eternity is changed. Now imagine, totally made up scenario. As this kid's life is just unraveling all around him, just through just all kinds of acts of God and grace that, that he ends up, I end up as, a, as an adult, my wife, we, we end up adopting this kid. Now he's a part of our family. And now, now Gabriel, who got to be a part of just introducing him and, and helping him get connected with Jesus, now they're brothers like, they are, they are family, and, and now he's a part of this family. Guys, how incredible would that story be if we could just trace it back and go, man, yeah, and it was because this person served that that kid ended up putting his trust in Jesus, and we could just trace it back. Guys, we make movies about that. I mean, that's like, that tugs on your heart. That's beautiful. Listen, that's what God wants to do every day in the church. There are people in the world around us who don't know Jesus their life is unraveling and their hearts are broken. They're separated from God. They're dead in the bottom of the ocean. They maybe realize it. They maybe don't even know it. And God is saying, I want each one of you to use the gifts that I have given you, united together on one purpose of helping people know Jesus and experience his love so that they might be adopted into the family that you've been adopted into. You guys realize we're all family when we put our trust in Jesus, right? And do you guys realize there's a ton of room left at the table still? That God's not done with this world. And he says, I want you guys to serve. The way my son's serving, guys, it's not, we overcomplicate it. Like, what gifts has God given you? What experiences has God given you? Maybe there's experience you've had that, that it wasn't that God gave it, but you, you experienced some difficult things. How could God use that for good? To help others. Because when we use the gifts that God's given us, everybody wins. When Gabriel uses the gifts that God's given him as an eight-year-old, that kid who shows up, he wins, but also my son wins. And as a dad, I win. So Paul is saying, guys, be united as one body. Use the gifts that God has given you to serve the church. Verse 15, so he talks about don't be tossed to and fro and because what happens when you're separated from the church, what happens when you're, you're kind of disconnected is there might be some kind of teaching, some kind of something that comes up and you're like, well, that sounds good. I'll follow that, you know, or, or we're easily going, well, now I feel this way. Now, and, and, and we kind of get this disjointed and, and we're tossed to and fro like in the waves it says, says, no, 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 stay connected to one another. Unified. Guys, the reason we look at God's word is, man, this is what we have in common. The truth of who Jesus is, this is what we have in common. So we're going to focus on this every week. This unites us together. Just don't be off on your own. It says it's dangerous. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, 
we are to grow up in every way to, who, to him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. Listen, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Guys, this is huge. This is what the church does. We serve. We give what God's given us to others. We share so that others might be adopted into God's family through his grace. In John 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. That the Christian life, practically speaking, it's learning to receive the love of God and give it away. He says, by this, by this thing, by, by us loving the people around us, by us loving each other and working through conflict, using the gifts God's given us, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'm gonna say that a different way. The world's gonna know that you follow Jesus by the quality of your relationships, by the degree to which you serve others. That's what love does. Jesus prays a prayer for us. We're gonna end on this. As he's praying for us specifically, he's praying for his disciples in this moment, and then he's praying for those who are gonna believe in John 17, starting in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you're here and you've put your trust in Jesus, Jesus is praying for you in this moment. And here's what he prays for us, for me, for you, for this church, for Phoenix Bible Church that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me so much rides on us being united and loving each other. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Because you love me before the foundation of the world, O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made it known to them your name, and I continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Would you pray with me? Jesus. We pray that prayer with you. That we would be one as you are one with the Father. That we would use what you've given us to love others, that we would love through serving. That when the world interacts with us, we wouldn't be so disjointed and just all on our own and living in isolation but that, that this would be a place of family, a place of community 
where we demonstrate love in the way we handle our relationships with each other. Jesus, I pray for each one of us to be a model of your love, a picture of your love, and that we would understand that the church, it's not a building that you can go to. It's a movement that you choose to be part of to help people know you. God, we want to be a part of this movement. We want to be a part of this family. We want to be a part of this body united together for the name of Jesus and the world around us. We pray, help us in Jesus' name, amen.